Hey everyone and welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this episode, we're going to be talking about anime episodes 113 through 115, which will be covering manga chapters 182 through 187. And we get into our first real fight of the arc. This is what we've been all waiting for, a crew battle on the scale of Arlong Park where each member gets to fight a member of the opposing enemy crew. And it's these moments that I live for in the series, these huge scale team efforts. But this is Arlong Park pretty much on steroids as the stakes are way bigger, the enemies are way stronger, and there's also a ticking time clock. And you really can't get much better than this. So let's get right into it. So the synopsis, picking up from the cliffhanger, Mr. Two is in pursuit of Vivi while Karu is desperately trying to get Vivi to safety after sustaining multiple wounds. Karu is downed when Sanji and the other Karugamo ducks come to their rescue in the nick of time, with Sanji now taking on Mr. Two and Vivi resolving to get to the palace to stop the fighting. We return to the action with Chopper and Usopp who are in the midst of fighting Mr. Four and Miss Merry Christmas. So as far as the differences go, there really aren't any differences here. In fact, I was actually surprised that they kept even a lot of the graphic violence and the blood of the Usopp and Chopper fight versus Mr. Four and Miss Merry Christmas. And I'm glad they did because it's an important part to see how much of a beating Usopp takes here. And even after all that, he's still willing to get back and fight for Luffy's dream and the fact that he's willing to fight because they laughed at his dream. And I think that is important to see how much Usopp actually takes while still having the courage to stand back up and fight. So yeah, let's get into the episodes. So Sanji rushes off to save Vivi while Usopp joins Chopper to help him fight off Miss Merry Christmas and Mr. Four. As we get back to Vivi from the last episode with no one to help her and Mr. Two bearing down, Karu gets up and carries Vivi the heck out of there with everything he's got left. It's a testament to Oda to get us to really feel for Karu at this point, who was at first pretty much just a pet. But by this point, not only is he his own character, but a full member or a nakama of the Straw Hat Pirates. And in his brief flashback, it's something he takes enormous pride in. So it's really cool, but also incredibly heartbreaking to see him so desperate to save Vivi. And even after scaling that huge cliff, he has to get through the battlefield but is then wounded by a stray bullet, but even then he still stays on his feet long enough to get Vivi beyond the fighting, but finally collapses due to his injuries. With nothing left, Karu desperately tries to get Vivi to leave him, but she can't bring herself to abandon her best friend. And I don't know about you, but this whole sequence was incredibly compelling to me. I mean, Karu here is just so heroic, and it's just such a desperate situation that you almost believe that Karu might actually not make it, whether due to succumbing to his wounds or to Mr. Two. And just when Mr. Two is about to reach them, Karu screams for Vivi to get out of there and run. And then Vivi screams to stop. And all of a sudden we get this cathartic hype moment just in the nick of time. And we see two ducks, Cowboy and Ivan X, and that's their names. It's never actually said, but you can look it up. They show about a nowhere to kick Mr. Two away from Karu and Vivi. Epically, Sanji makes it in time to help with his signature jazz theme playing, challenging Mr. Two. It's all so awesome. These moments, I swear, can only be done in a comic book property, whether it be an American or Japanese, and their anime or movie adaptations. You just don't get these moments anywhere else, I feel like. Also, I just have to mention Sanji's entrances are some of the best in the series because they always seem to come out of nowhere and he always shows up in such a cool way. 
After a brief catch-up with Zoro and Nami versus Mr. One and Miss Doublefinger, we get to the main event of the next few episodes, which is the Chopper and Usopp versus Mr. Four and Miss Merry Christmas fight. And right off the bat, I always laugh at Chopper's explanation of Mr. Four because even in the context of what he's saying, it's still absolute nonsense until you actually see Mr. Four in action. The, the quote of, he's the fourth batter or aka the cleanup hitter and he's with a dog. It's like, your reaction is exactly like Usopp's like, what? Yet he keeps repeating this over and over and over and it still doesn't make it anything clearer. But it becomes clear that while this is a comical way of describing his abilities, it's pretty terrifying in actuality as his power is extreme physical th- strength to swing a heavy-ass metal bat that weighs four tons. That bat is used to hit a cannonball like exploding baseball that are shot out of the dog that he carries around with him named Lasso, who is a gun that has somehow eaten the Inuinomi model dachshund devil fruit or the dog dog fruit. And yes, you heard me right. That is a physical inanimate object that was quote-unquote fed a dog devil fruit and not the way the other way around. It's not explained how this is actually possible, but it's mentioned in a brief line how it's a new scientific tech that was developed in the Grand Line. And I might go into a bit more detail on this spoiler section about this. But as we move on, we also learn that Miss Merry Christmas has a zone-type devil fruit as well. She has eaten the mogumogunami or the momo fruit. And mogu is just short for mo in Japanese, which is mogura. Or mogu is moguru is to also dig or burrow, which is what a mole does. I love Usopp's initial reaction to her, thinking she's already turned into a mole even before she's actually transformed. And then once she does actually transform, he's like, penguin? Although one thing here in this early part of the fight, I gotta admit, even as a big Usopp fan myself, Usopp is pretty insufferable here in the first half of this fight. Even though he's hilarious, he's mostly trying to run away and being an extreme coward, almost to the point of abandoning Chopper a couple times, even though Chopper is doing his best to do his part to defeat Mr. Four, while also saving Usopp's ass several times. However, Usopp does get a few moments, and obviously he gets his big redeeming moment, which is actually set up really well because of how annoying he is here in the beginning but we'll obviously get to that a little bit later but before that let's not forget that this is chopper's first real fight as a straw hat member against an opponent that he is clearly outmatched by at first it's really cool to see chopper's ability flexed here in really creative ways like how he uses his different forms to his advantages like using his speed and walk point or shrinking down to his brain point to avoid mr four's attack while being grabbed by miss merry christmas I mean, all that stuff is really funny, but also really cool. I also really like that because he's changing form so often, even in mid-sentence, you really get to see how Ikue Ootani subtly changes her inflection and tone of voice depending on the form Chopper is in. It's really high-pitched and cheerful when he's in his small hybrid form. Then it becomes deeper and aggressive when he swaps to his heavy point form. It's pretty cool, actually. And it's not something I actually notice very often, but it's really fun to hear that when you actually see them switch really quickly. Getting back to Usopp, Oda does manage to give Usopp an upbeat here as he has one of his most iconic attack moments, the Usopp Pound, an upgrade from his Usopp Hammer from Arlong Park. He now uses an oversized five-ton quote-unquote hammer. I mean, he uses it to knock out Mr. Four and proceeds to give an epic speech how people call him the Dynast of Destruction and pose before triumphantly declaring for Chopper, who's 
completely caught up in the fandom of of this name and <laughs> the fact that he just calls himself Captain Usopp, just all really proudly, even though he's not really done anything yet. Then he proceeds to play whack-a-mole with Miss Merry Christmas as we get a callback joke to Arlong Park again when he fights Chew. He does the hammer, 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 but this time he does pound, pound, pound. And then all of a sudden, you hear the Usopp rubber band making its random appearance again as he's going pound, 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 and then it's Usopp Wagom in the middle of that. So that's a nice callback to the Arlong Park fight. Mr. Four, after much delayed reaction, regains consciousness and turns out he's unscathed, but it just took him forever to respond to the hit because of just how slow he is in general. From here, the tone of the battle shifts, and Usopp and Chopper are on the defensive as Miss Merry Christmas is pissed at Usopp and goes after him hard. Usopp's absurd flexibility in jumping away with his upper body folded past his crotch as Miss Merry Christmas attacks him. <laughs> this will never not be funny how he's just like, and just jumps backwards with his hands through his legs. Chopper on the other side has been backed into a corner with his hands full with Mr. Four. Becoming desperate, he uses his rumble ball in a last-ditch effort to find their weakness, betting it all on the three minutes that his rumble ball will be active for. One thing I love here is that while Chopper has only been with the crew, and specifically with Usopp for a couple weeks at this point, he's still built up enough of a bond to trust that Usopp will be okay even when he's getting his ass handed to him. And he's running away like a scared chicken. So I also think this has to do with the fact that Chopper kind of idolizes the other crew members and looks up to them. So I think he believes Usopp is stronger than he really is. And and that's not a knock on Chopper. I mean, he's the definitely the youngest and he's still kind of a child, really. He's like 15 at this point, while Usopp and most of the other crew are at least 19 and older. So they've got a considerable age gap between them. And so it makes sense that Chopper would actually idolize the older members of the crew. Oh, and fun fact. So at uh, minute 716 in episode 114 of the Netflix version, we see an homage to one of baseball's greatest players and the greatest Japanese-born player as Mr. Ford does Ichiro's iconic batter's pose where he holds the bat up straight with his outstretched arm and tugs on his sleeve with the other hand. And I noticed this right away because I'm a lifelong Seattle Mariners fan and Ichiro is my favorite baseball player of all time. So that's a cool little homage to him. Anyways, getting back to the story, Chopper does figure out a strategy to fire Lasso's bombs into the mole tunnels but it turns out it's not enough as they're way too strong still and Usopp goes into complete coward mode. And I feel this is the first time we see Usopp actually terrified for his life for real. You can really hear it in Yamaguchi Kape's voice as the way he plays this scene. This whole scene is done so well because while it, it does frustrate you to no end how cowardly Usopp reacts here, leaving Chopper behind and just running, it sets him an incredible, if not one of the most iconic Usopp moments so well. As soon as he hears Miss Merry Christmas mention Luffy lost a crocodile and makes fun of Luffy and his dreams, something switches inside Usopp and he gets this change in demeanor. Usopp immediately denies that Luffy was beaten and gets even more angry that they laughed at Luffy's dream. Like that famous Joker quote in The Dark Knight, when the chips are down, people really show you what kind of person they are. That's not the exact quote. That's just paraphrase. And Usopp here shows you that even though he is a coward, when there's something important at stake, he can and will muster up some incredible courage and strength. In addition, we get to see the comically limitless nature in terms of Usopp's ability to take a beating here. 
as he's dragged through multiple stone walls then takes a four-ton bat to the face shattering his entire head and, and like the the image of his skull fracturing is just incredibly comical and then as he falls he causes this massive explosion like a bomb just went off even though he's falling in slow motion i know this is supposed to be a serious moment but seeing Usopp and that skull and the nose shatter like that and him surviving that explosion it's so ridiculous i can't help but laugh however then we get one of the greatest Usopp moments like i said even to this day when he stands back up all white-eyed and beaten, he gives his speech, there comes a time in every man's life when they have to stand and fight. And that's when your Nakama's dream is laughed at. This moment is just iconic because it represents Usopp's undying loyalty no matter the cost, even his own life. Usopp's bravery when it counts is beyond incredible. And while it's frustrating to see him cower so often, when it counts, Usopp comes through. And that's what makes this moment so impactful and satisfying. Now with Chopper unveiling his final form of his rumble ball, if you remember, he never showed this in drum, but we get to see it here for the first time. His horn point, which is a mix of his walk and heavy points, and he grows these massive antlers. We then get Usopp and Chopper working together for the first time to turn the tide as Usopp shoots his smoke star to obscure everyone's vision as he escapes and leave Miss Merry Christmas to scoop her up and trick Mr. Four into slamming Miss Merry Christmas's face with the bat, blasting her. And as the smoke clears, we see that Usopp and Chopper have also come up with another combined attack, where Usopp fires a slingshot with the hammer into Mr. Four's gut. And with that, Usopp and Chopper come out victorious as the first matchup goes to the Straw Hats. And at the end here, I love the scene with Chopper yelling for a doctor as Usopp has understandably sustained some massive injuries, to say the least. But then Usopp just casually saying, that's you. And Chopper's like, oh. <laughs> so this fight ends off on a weird point as it's done halfway through the episode. So we get to move on to the next matchup, which is going back to Sanji versus Mr. Two. Now this is one of the heavy hitter matches as it includes one of the three monster trios. This is one of my favorite fights in the series, to be honest. I always love watching this fight for how epic yet hilarious it is. They're pretty much evenly matched in terms of strength. I think one thing that Oda does to indicate to us that this is a much stronger enemy is that he has Sanji use the same set of moves he used to dominate Kurobi in Arlong Park, but it's utterly ineffective here against Mr. Two. The Collier shoot, Ipol, Kotelet, uh, Cell, Poaturinu, Jigo, and then the finisher Mouton shot or Mutton shot, which indicates to us that he's got to step up his game and use some new techniques beyond anything he's done so far to beat Mr. Two. And I gotta take a little moment to talk about the Mane Mane montage gag, because if only for the single fact that after it's revealed the 90% of the weirdest facial features are his own, the sound goes completely silent with the camera lingering on both of them in this awkward silence for almost a good 5-6 to six seconds which is long in TV time. <laughs> and this just the, this whole scene is so funny. However, the fight cuts away but not before Mr. Two does figure out Sanji's weakness to women by transforming into Nami and... Sanji doesn't do a very good job of keeping his poker face because every time he changes into Nami, 
he just immediately goes into the lovey-dovey mode with the heart eyes and just yelling, and then going back to the straight face over and over. <laughs> and I love Mr. Two's like, But before the episode actually ends, we quickly cut back to Bibi showing the same resolve and understanding of her people's will as her father, Cobra, does. And even with Cobra missing, Bibi comes to the same conclusion that a country is not its palace or its structures, it's about its people. And Vivi asks Chaka to destroy the palace to interrupt the fighting and show the people the royal army is no longer willing to fight. Of course, Chaka remembering this similar conversation from earlier with Cobra, he agrees and the episode ends there. So yeah, all three of these episodes and from here on out are still really action-packed. Uh, before I end this podcast, I want to give a warning about opening three. So Hikarie is about to premiere on the next episode in episode 116. And if you want to avoid a major spoiler, I'd avoid watching the new opening theme Hikarie until about episode 131. And this is a huge spoiler. And it's totally up to you, but it's really such a big twist that I don't really want to rob people of that reveal when it actually comes up in the story. And I have no idea why they through this opening in so soon they could have just waited to be honest but yeah this has a major spoiler and so if you do not want any spoilers i would definitely avoid the new opening theme from episodes 116 to 131 anyways with that said that was an awesome start to the straw hats and broke works crew battle as we leave on a pretty intense cliffhanger as Sanji's now in some real danger as we know he can't bear to hit a woman, especially someone that looks like Nami. So how's he going to beat Mr. Two now? But we will discuss that on the next podcast. Anyways, if you enjoyed this, send me a like or a comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Check out my Instagram and Twitter account at Podcast for updates of new episode postings and some pictures and also stay tuned for just a small spoiler section about the uh, objects hitting devil fruits but yeah if you don't want to stay for that i'll see you on the next episode thanks for listening and bye Okay, so, spoiler section. Uh, Nothing too really big. I just really wanted to kind of give a little bit more discussion about the objects eating devil fruits. Now, we've seen a few in the series, I think. By my knowledge, I think there's only about four. So we have Lasu, and then we get um, Spandem's sword, Funkfried, who has the elephant fruit. And then we have that weird um, concoction from Caesar in Punk Hazard, where the slime, uh, Smiley, he is infused with some sort of a devil fruit as well. And then, I think this is a really minor one, but I'm pretty sure there was one in um, Wano, in the new Wano. He's like a teapot or something with with like a, um, a raccoon uh, fruit, if I remember correctly. But I think those are the only four that exist. But yeah, it's never really... We know that Dr. Vegapunk is introduced and he is sort of this overall mad scientist character that's been doing all this experimentation with devil fruits, like creating artificial ones, you know, with Momonosuke eating eating the devil fruits. And he also has the all the upgrades that Frankie eventually kind of learns from. But 
but he's the one that created this sort of way to infuse objects with devil fruits. And so far, it's only with zone type fruits. And I think that kind of makes sense. Like if you want something to gain sentience, you can't just give it an elemental type or a paramecia type, you know, it's, it's got to get some sort of a brain somewhere. So it's got to get the zone type. But it's really interesting because it hasn't really explained like how it actually eats it. Like it is it like spliced in there like through genetics or or is it just like literally forced into like an like a hole and it eats it and you, you just don't really understand how that works and it's interesting too that while funk freed transforms like he can be a sword he can be an elephant and then he can also kind of be a hybrid we never actually see lasu transform he's kind of always in his hybrid form sort of in a dog gun state and i wonder what he would look like if he was an actual gun well actually that must be that must be how he Mr. Four carries him around now that I think about it. And maybe we have seen that. But yeah, we never see him in his like normal dog state either. Um but it, yeah, it is interesting to see how they actually get that to work and it's not really explained. I know I went back and looked it up and I know there's this sort of like blueprint that we see where it shows like a diagram of how it works, but it doesn't really explain anything whatsoever and i'm pretty sure this was shown sometime further on i think it was maybe a little bit before the time skip when frankie is exploring vegapunk's lab but yeah it's it's such a weird concept and yeah I, i've always like just it still it still kind of boggles my mind how that's even possible but anyways that's kind of all i wanted, really wanted to talk about which is how weirded out i am by the objects eating double fruit and how it makes no sense but yeah thanks for listening and i'll see you on the next episode bye